So good morning everybody, I'm Karen, for those that maybe don't know me particularly well. Um, so we are following on um, this morning in our series um, of looking at artwork and how that, how we can learn from that and what we can get from it. And I don't know about you, but I've loved it so far actually. I think it's been incredibly something, I, I'm a quite a visual person though, so I, you know, I love seeing it and then I love seeing what's been drawn out of it and found it fascinating. And, and so this is the same in terms of my study of what I've been doing with this image that is here today. But I want to start by reading a passage of scripture, um, which it depicts, just to give us an idea um, of what it means. So I'm going to read just first of all from Genesis 18. And it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So this picture, painting, is really a pictorial representation of this passage in Genesis 18, where the three angels visited Abraham and Sarah. And it's sometimes called the hospitality of Abraham. And it was painted by a man called Andrei Rublev, who was born about 1360, and he's a Russian painter. Um, so he painted this, there's a couple of different dates, but around about 1420, so the early 14, uh, 15th century. And it was painted onto a board. Um, and what you don't get from this, I think, you're actually probably closer on the screen. So it's about 1.4 metres tall, so probably here, and by 1.1 metres wide. Um, and it's currently hanging in the Tretyakov Gallery in Moscow. Um, so what I thought we'd do, just out of interest, just to see what you'll get, is first of all, a little bit of a shout out at me, okay? So just really, what do you actually see in the painting? So just objects, what, what is there in this painting? Shout out. Yep, so there's a cup on the table. This one, that one, that one, that would be better, yeah. That. Halos, yep. Yep. Yes. House. Yep. So, uh, and the <laughs> so yeah, so that's about the main things that are there. So we've got three angels, which are depicted from the story in Genesis. Um, you've got 
um, the table that they sit at, and in the centre is a cup. And what's actually painted in that cup is the cup of the calf's head that was sacrificed for their meal. Um, you've got a house, you've got a tree, and what I think is less clear here is this image there, which is actually a mountain that sits behind there. What, from the story that I read earlier, what do you not see in this painting as a picture of that image? Abraham, yeah. You don't see Abraham. You, anything else? Pardon? Yeah, you don't see Sarah. Yep. You don't really see the meal. So they prepared this massive meal, but you don't see that. Um, and you don't see the um, angels having their, um, well, washing their feet or whether anybody else did that for them. So I think it's really interesting because the focus of the painting is clearly then not on Abraham, but is actually on the angels and about them. And so this piece of art is actually what's um, thought to be an, what they use as an icon. Um, so a religious piece of art which is um, used um, as a, an icon to worship and had some kind of symbolism or whatever to the people who used it as an icon to worship with. And so there was some kind of symbolism that meant more than just the story in Genesis 18. So if we think about that, then what is the painting actually about? So what is this actually symbolizing? And so the, the alternate name of it is actually the icon of the Holy Trinity. So it kind of gives it away what it is. So you've got the three angels, which are there to symbolize God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is look at it, because each of the details in this painting is not there by accident, um, and each of them has a meaning to it, and I think it then helps us to understand, and it gives us an insight into the Holy Trinity, um, and how we can use that to help our worship. So I'm just going to look at a few pieces in it, um, and then take each angel in turn. So, um, so the first thing is that obviously there's three angels. Um, it's not very clear on the back. Um, but So they're all sitting at a table. And each of their faces is pretty much identical, um, except they gaze in a slightly different direction. Each of them has a staff, and it's actually not particularly clear. But they have a very thin line down each of these bits here, which is the staff that each of them is holding. And they all wear blue, which is probably much clearer on this image here. Each of the wears a blue garment. Um, and the blue is um, a depiction of divinity or of a color of the heavens. So each of them were part of that. So that's the significance of the blue that's there. But if we look at the left angel, first of all, so this is meant to represent God the Father. And if we look at it, he's sitting and gazing towards the other two angels at the table. And he's wearing this blue garment, but it's, his blue is kind of covered up with this robe that seems to be kind of a little bit transparent, sort of, um, whether that's an, a sort of angelic, king-like robe that he's sitting at the table with. And both of his hands, which is different to the other two, is holding on to the staff. Um, and I wonder if that's some kind of symbol of power or strength that he has um, sitting there with it. But at the same time, one of his hands also does seem to, with again, kind of a couple of fingers that's holding on to the staff also seems to be gesturing towards the middle. Um, and if I go back to the original one, so the, his fingers are pointing towards the centre of the table, 
towards the cup. And it seems to be that that's a kind of gesture that he's actually inviting other people at the table to move it as a movement towards the cup. And then it's not by accident that there's a house above his head which you can see here. So obviously meant to be Abraham's house as the three angels have come to him. But actually, um, the house is a symbol of God the Father as the master creator, as the head over creation. He's built his house. And as I was thinking about it, it reminded me of the passage in John 14 where it says, my father's house has many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So that's the symbolism of that. And then we move to the middle angel, which is obviously meant to depict Jesus. And he's sitting and he's gazing towards the Father. And he seems to be with one hand reaching towards the cup in the center of the table. And in that cup, obviously, is the head of the sacrificed lamb that they had done for the meal. And it seems pretty obvious at some point where that he's um, an obvious symbol of him taking the cup as the sacrifice, that he is the ultimate sacrifice, and that that's his to own. And he's wearing a brown garment underneath the blue, and when sort of the reading would seem to suggest that that's a symbolism of earth or humanity. Um, and he has a gold stripe down the side, which is also something about kingship. And then above him is the tree. And again, not by accident that they're under the trees in Mamre in this um, passage in Genesis 18, but that the tree here is obviously with Jesus. Because if we think about the tree, we think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. But then also we think of the tree of the cross on which he died. And then even the tree of life in Revelation and Revelation 22, it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. And I think this serves as a, a reminder that Jesus is present in the story from the beginning with the tree in Genesis to the end with the tree in Revelation. And then the third angel, it represents the Holy Spirit. And so he's also sitting gazing towards the Father and he's wearing a green garment over the blue, and the green was a representation of new life and regeneration. And one of his hands also seems to be pointing towards the cup as well. And then above him is this mountain. And if we think about mountains in, um, in the Bible, we think about places of spiritual ascent where people would go to try and encounter God. Jesus escaped to the mountain to have some time. We know Moses went to the mountain to, and encountered God in the burning bush. Um, we think about Elijah going up the mountain and hiding and waiting for the Lord to pass by. And Jesus' transfiguration on a mountain. So mountains have a sense of spiritual ascent and connection in that way. And so that's each of the three angels. Then the main thing that I want to speak about, actually, and when you look at this and what you're drawn to, is you're drawn to the three angels who seem to sit in a circle. So their bodies form a circle around the table. And this seems to, with their kind of identical faces and everything that goes with that, seems to suggest that there's a, a codependence on one another and there's a unity, um, but also a circle being a representation of eternity. It's never ending. And so yet, 
don't know about you, but when you look at that, what strikes me is that there seems to be this space at the bottom. So that even although they're in a circle, there's a space and there's a space at the table. And so I think for me, this was one of the main themes of the painting, is that sense of there's a space at the table. And what it felt for me really was hospitality. And it talked about the hospitality of Abraham in providing hospitality to the three angels, but actually this is about hospitality on a, on a different level within the Trinity. So what kind of th- I have three things that I think in terms of hospitality that I'd like just to draw out for you to have a look at. So I believe that there's space at the table, and the first thing that there's space at the table for from this image is for salvation. So Jesus is in the centre of the painting with the cup containing the head of the sacrificed calf in it. But he was that sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for our sins, and he took that cup. And so I feel that the Trinity is inviting each one of us to take that cup and to accept Jesus' sacrifice and be welcomed by the Trinity to sit at this table and join the circle and be there for eternity. And that's salvation. And so are you sitting here today? So have you taken that first step in accepting his salvation to come and sit at the table for eternity? And then I think there's space at the table for relationship. Because these three angels are in relationship with one another. There's an an equality to them sitting at the table. Nobody's better, you know, sitting higher. Nobody seems to be more important. But they seem to be in communion with one another as well. There's, and I think obviously the image of the cup in the centre seems to bring to mind that image of, that thought of communion as well. But they're communing with one another. But yet there's still space there for us to come. And so I think the Trinity is also inviting us to come and to commune with them and to spend time with them, to talk with them, to be part of that conversation at the table. And so our relational life with Father, Son and Holy Spirit is so important. And so they desire our relationship and they want us to come. They've made a space so that we can come and join them. And so are we going to accept their invitation to come and be part of that and to sit at the table and to commune with the Trinity? And then finally, but I think most importantly, goes to what Glenn was partly praying about in terms of our world at the moment, I think there's space at the table for the outsider. And this was probably the most important part. And thinking about hospitality today, I think sometimes we get scared by the word hospitality. And we perhaps think about it simply as entertaining our family or friends. Often because we want to do it, we enjoy doing it. Um, Sometimes we quite like the thought of doing it and then being asked, you know, that we'll get invited to theirs for dinner or something afterwards. Um, It doesn't cost as much particularly. And I think our culture would seem to suggest that our practice of hospitality, it's trying to kind of squeeze it out. It's threatening it. You know, our lifestyles, our busyness. Um, Sometimes even simple things like the distance to which our family all live makes it difficult to have that hospitality and to have them with us. But I think there's also a sense of privacy that we want and that we try and maintain by keeping ourselves in and perhaps not offering hospitality in the way that God would want us to. 
And the Greek word, as I learned this week, um, for hospitality, um, is, which is used in the Bible, is philozenia, which is P-H-I-L-O-X-E-N-I-A, philozenia. And it means friend to a stranger. And so hospitality in that sense is not so much about offering hospitality to people who we know, but perhaps people who we don't know. And so it's used twice in in the New Testament, Romans 12, Paul's talking about love, and he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And then again in Hebrews 13, he's also talking about love. And he says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And so biblical hospitality was different to what we understand today. And perhaps obviously different to what was experienced in the 15th century. And in the biblical context, it was more about entertaining strangers than family. And it was, you know, people were traveling through villages and and they would have to, you know, they would stop and be offered food and lodging whenever it was asked of. So you would be expected to provide that. That was just part of the culture. And then in speaking to the early church in 1 Peter, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so there seems to be something about loving one another and offering hospitality, which go hand in hand, and that's part of it. But I think it's important to move away particularly from our image of hospitality in terms of just having a meal with friends to actually being something a bit more than that. And the interesting thing about hospitality is that it almost always, certainly in the Bible, seems to include food and about eating together. Um, Jesus fed the 5,000. Um, the story that was interesting when I was reading was Acts 16 with the jailer um, and Paul and Silas. And the first thing after he gets the guy out of jail and the next morning is um, the jailer takes him to his home at a late hour, it says, and says to his wife, let's prepare a meal and have a meal with them. That's the first thing that they wanted to do was to offer that um, to Paul and Silas in that context. And Jesus himself relied on hospitality all throughout his missionary life. You know, he himself was homeless and wandering and going through towns and villages. Um, So he relied on that, but he was also always inviting people to offer hospitality to strangers as well. And he talks about doing that to those lower in society. We think about um, other stories, um, which I'll go on to a second context. Um, Anyway, so who is the outsider? Um, And I think this is where it does come back to Jesus' example. Um, And what I was going to mention a minute ago was about Luke 14 and the great banquet. And so that's the story, obviously, where they prepare the parable. He prepares a big meal, but the people he's invited don't want to come. Um, And actually, at the end of the day, they go far to the edges of the town and beyond the town to the people who are lowest in society, people who wouldn't often come. And they're invited to come and enjoy the meal with Jesus. And so Jesus offered hospitality to the people who we wouldn't necessarily think of, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, those on the outside, those on the margins. And so if we think about who the outsider is, we need to think about who's the outsiders here in our community. Who are the outsiders even in our church? Who are the outsiders in our workplaces that we need to have contact with? And then what does actually 
showing hospitality or offering hospitality actually practically look like? And I think we'll probably all have different experiences of this. There's a couple of things that I'd um, thought about. And obviously having somebody come and stay with you for a while is part of it. That's what happened in, in biblical times. And it often causes a lot of disruption and stress. Um, we were shown, obviously, hospitality when we first came here. Joan and Kenneth, we didn't have anywhere to stay at that point. So we came down to start school and they came and they showed us hospitality. They offered us a space in their house. Um, and we stayed there for a few weeks. And one of the other stories that came to mind, and, and I don't say this to be bragging in any way, but we, um, it was a, an amazing situation where we were in Aberdeen um, and we'd heard through a friend in California that a couple from California were visiting near Aberdeen and um, Ed and Sarah, and that Sarah, his wife, had been taken into hospital in Aberdeen. And he was um, travelling, they got this timeshare, which is about an hour and a bit outside of Aberdeen. Um, and it was November and it's icy and horrible weather and he was trying to get drive back in and out on roads, country roads that he wasn't used to driving on. And so Glenn went to meet Sarah in the hospital and actually came home and says, yeah, well, we just offer him to stay in our spare room because it's much easier. We're only 10 minutes from the hospital. Um, so Ed came and stayed with us. We didn't know him other than the fact that we had this, you know, contact via somebody in another church. And um, we, as a church, we had our little home church as well at the time, and we had American Thanksgiving with them one day, one night of the week. Um, a couple of our people from our church went to visit Sarah in hospital. Um, and so he stayed with us for just over a week. And the fascinating thing about it was that it was quite difficult for us in terms of what we were doing at the time and just, you know, doing life. Um, but they went away completely and utterly I don't even know the right word, um, transformed by the experience of the hospitality that they got. They were completely blown away by it. Um, they've kind of become sort of other parents to us who are desperate for us to go and stay with them. They, since they went back to California, they have opened their house. They have had lots of people stay with them. The, the, the offer of the hospitality that we showed them opened their eyes to something different and that they've now had lots of people come through and stay and they talk about the experience and they go and tell others about their experience. And so that simple thing that we did, which didn't really feel like much, to be honest, um, got a spare room, just come and stay here, go back and forward to the hospital, has led to other you know, um, ramifications of that, hopefully for the benefit of the kingdom of God um, across, not even in this country, but somewhere else. And I heard stories, um, I've heard a story from, um, some of you might know Mez McConnell, who's one of the um, pastors at the Nidri Church, um, the 20 Schemes Church, and he opens his home and he regularly has people staying with him, um, who tend to be people who come from a, um, an addiction background. And so, you know, the, the influence of this hospitality it is not just about what we do there and then, it's got bigger ramifications, hopefully, for the blessing. But you don't need to offer hospitality. It doesn't need to be as big as that. It kind of feels like, oh, I can't do that. That's a bit daunting. Um, you know, simply welcoming people to your home for a coffee, simply having somebody around, having a chat, being, the welcome, being on welcome at church and actually going to the person who's new, hi, how are you, actually having a, you know, a good conversation with them, noticing who's, not, who's an outsider, who's new, and welcoming them. That's what we want. We want relationship. And that's what this is about. 
And the other passage that came to mind when I was looking at this in terms of what we were doing um, in terms of hospitality for the stranger was in Matthew 25. And it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when we welcome strangers, we're welcoming Jesus. And so this whole call to hospitality feels big and feels like a massive challenge. But I believe actually as a church, we do need to embrace it because I think it is fundamentally countercultural. It's something that says to other people who receive and um, are, are, um, take part in this hospitality that they're welcome, that they're valued, that they're loved. But it does require of us an openness of heart, um, a willingness to make our lives visible to others, and a generosity of our time and our resources. But for those of us that do offer hospitality in this way, the experience is deeply enriching. And like it says in Hebrews, we may be entertaining angels and don't know it. And so, just to finish, I think Bell preached a couple of weeks ago um, on the two hands, the one of challenge and the one of invitation and support. And I think in that corner is hospitality and our, um, and our invitation to offer hospitality, not just to people here, but to people on the outside as well. And I think that's a massive challenge. But I think what, we would, what we've learned from those two hands is that even although there's a massive challenge of hospitality to the outsider on one hand, there's always the space, there's always the hand of invitation and support. And that actually creating a space for, at the table for the outsider is a challenge, but we're not left without that hand of support. And that hand of support is here. Because we can only do that and only accept that challenge when we're part of the, 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 the Trinity, really. We do it in the knowledge of our own salvation. We do it in the relationship sitting around the table with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I think we're going to move into a time of communion. And just as we do that, hopefully this image will be helpful in trying just to think about how you, as an individual, as a family, um, and as we, as a church family, can make place for hospitality. How can we do that in our own lives, in our own homes, in our church, and in our wider community?